Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not confuse. It's a trap! Hi, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Show Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. And I'm Jason Lindsay. And boy, we are well-rested now. We certainly are. It took, uh, took a little time off. If an eight-day cruise didn't uh, recharge your batteries, frankly, I don't know what will. That's right. Well, you were gone before that. Where were you? You Was that when you went to, uh, were you in New York, or where were you the week before? No. I was, what was your last, what was your last trip? Was New, you went back to Chicago. It was Chicago. It was the second Chicago trip, but that was, we've spoken since then, because we got the new dog and everything, so so that, I, I've been here since, so you went away. Well, there was a week before where we couldn't get together. Well, well there was, it's been too long. Thanksgiving, that whole thing. Right. But that, that's when I was gone, was Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we were trying to, that week, we were tentatively trying to get something recorded. That's right. Before, you know, the world ended. Uh, but we didn't get a chance to, so then you went away. So this is the longest consecutive hiatus, you know, two weeks we've been down, basically. I think, yeah. You know, so I don't want, we don't want to alarm people. We don't want to... You know, this happens to shows all the time. We don't want them to think that the the show's in trouble. You know, we're getting shifted around in time slots or different nights of the week. It's our mid. It was our mid-season hiatus. Our mid-season hiatus. We left it. On, that's that's like a big thing now in TV. Is yeah, the mid-season hiatus. We left it on a cliffhanger. Yes. So I'm sure everybody's on the edge of their seats, wondering if we're both coming back or one of us died. Yeah, what's going to happen next? Yeah. What, and and to leave right in the middle of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary. I know. That seems so contrary to us. What were you thinking? And we need to talk about uh, Walking Dead, speaking of mid-season uh, oh, craziness. Yeah. Yes. That was cool, but we'll get to it, but it reached a point where it was almost like, you remember remember the Twin Peaks cliffhanger? Which one? Well, there was that, that, that first season where they... they threw everything in but the kitchen sink, like the barn was burning down, this car drove off a cliff, this person yeah. might be a man or whatever. And it's like they were kind of poking fun at every conceivable ridiculous cliffhanger. It, it almost, and then someone turns and says, and I know who killed Laura Paul. Yes, and exactly. you know, went to black. Yeah. It almost got to that point on Walking Dead. Yes. Where I was like, what, what next? Yeah. You know? There was some groovy stuff, but we'll, we'll get to that. But um, you have limited time um, uh, today and while well, we're doing this, and so we should we don't want to rush, but we got lots to talk about. So let's get right okay. to what we're excited about. And as always, because you're the younger and less handsome of the duo, you get to go first. Well, I'm just, you know, it's December. You you talk about how you love October uh, and the season and Halloween and all that. I'm, I've always been kind of a, a Christmas guy in the holidays. Yeah, you know, my, kind of, well, it's because, it's because you're so giving. <clears throat> that is true. I, yeah. I think you, sometimes you hurt from giving so much. <laughs> yeah. And my, my, you know, growing up, my mom was always sort of maniacal about that, like decorating the whole house, multiple trees. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, yeah, just did it up. 
you know, my family's always been huge into that. So uh, I, I sort of inherited that and then, you know, and That's continuing nice. that in my own family. I have only met your brother, but you uh, it strikes me that the Pickett clan is a, is a, is a tight knit family. Yes, very much. So. You know, uh, I can tell that because of the the uh, closeness that you have with the grandparents. Yep, uh-huh. uh, that always tells me that it probably meant that it was a pretty tight family. So you don't get much closer than than you do around the holidays. That's right. Sitting around drinking eggnog, singing Christmas carols. Throwing chestnuts. Um, so I've you know so so December and Christmas is to you what Halloween and October sort of is to me. So give me the rundown of like what are what are some of your favorite things about this this time of year? Well, uh, you know, it's we are in December now. We're we're recording this in the first week of December. That's right. And, you know, I I have a 10-year-old that is still very much in the Santa camp. Uh and this is our third year doing the Elf on the Shelf. Oh yeah, that book. Now now this was a thing we had this as kids, didn't we? But we had the elves, but they didn't have that sort of story that went with it, I think. Okay, because I remember that elf that, that hugged his knees. Yes. And, you know, you could put him in different places in the house. But, yeah, I don't remember the book. So, yeah, so the book is a new thing, and it's sort of, yeah, it, it's, it's that same sort of, I don't know, sort of disciplinary action to keep everyone on the straight and narrow in December. Like, the elf watches over you and, and your behavior. But, okay. you know, it's become this thing now where it moves every night. So you have to stash it places kind of and, and make it do weird things. Yeah. It's a little creepy. It's it's a little strange, yeah. But it's got this whole, you know, sort of personality and my daughter is just hook, line and sinker for it. She she loves it. I remember you yeah, I mean about every morning she's looking for this thing. I remember you talking you know, about pushing me out of the way. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh that that's do a lot you, of fun. Do um do you do the the advent calendar thing? Uh, we actually just, uh, Abby just ordered the Lego advent calendar, the regular city one. So we're going to do that. And we're, oh. now that I'm saying it out loud, we're four days behind. So we got to get on that. You know, I didn't really know what an advent calendar was. I, I didn't realize that it, I think most of them involved chocolate and like fortunes or something. Right. You yep. open the thing. Because I got one one year. <clears throat> the only, actually the only year that I, I think I ever got an advent calendar. I don't know where my mother got this thing, but it was like. You know, it was cardboard and plastic, you know, plastic back, cardboard front. And you opened the little, you know, windows or doorways or things. But behind each one, instead of a piece of chocolate, was like a little toy, Mm -hmm. like a little tin uh, yo-yo or a little magic trick or, you know, whatever. I've never seen one since that has an advent calendar that has a little toy for each day instead of a piece of chocolate. But I sure would like to get my hands on one of those babies because... That was a cool – I saved all those little toys because they were all like, you know, they were you know cheap little, you know, gumball machine type things. But yeah. I think the thing came from Germany or somewhere, uh, and it was a fun, a fun little activity. And, you know, healthier than eating a piece of chocolate every day. Yeah. Well, that, that's what the Lego one is. You're building like little mini kits and sure. uh, mini figures and stuff like that. When, when, I, when we were growing up – uh, I don't know if, if someone in my family made them or what they were, but they were these uh, sort of felt things that were green and red and had like a uh, the shape of a bell at the top with a jingle bell where the you know little clapper thing would be, okay. and then a long ribbon down with twenty four little or I don't know twenty five yarn ties, and I think they were meant 
for candy canes. My brother always had like little candy canes on his, but I was never a big peppermint fan. Yeah. So they would tie Brock's Royals to them. Brock's Royals. Oh, those silver. Yeah. Uh, yeah they were in those little foil things and had different flavors. Oh yeah. Inside. Yeah. So kind of caramely. Uh, speaking of Lego, they're like caramel combos. Speaking of Lego, and I know you have yeah. a, a deep affection for for all things Lego. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, my, I still can't say sister-in-law, my wife's sister uh, and her fiancé. Why can't you say sister-in-law? It just sounds so grown up and <laughs> adult. It's hard to get the words out. Um, they had to do a Thanksgiving early because they were going to be out of town. So it was on a Saturday, and uh, we, we all went over there and had our... <coughs> Uh, official sort of Thanksgiving, and uh, William, uh, my wife's nephew, uh, you know, he's really getting into Star Wars, but 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 mainly the original three. It's it's interesting. He's you know eight years old, but really doesn't care for the prequels. Uh, but he was you know so when he sees me now, it's loads of questions about Star Wars this and Star Wars that, and what does it mean if it's this and what does it mean that, and he's like, I gotta show you this this video game, my Lego Star Wars game. And, uh, and so he, he, you know, for about 30 minutes, ran me through the game, and it was the Phantom Menace that he was playing, which will lead me to, I have to get into a, a Star Wars prequel thing in a bit, don't, don't let me forget. Um, and I just, I'm kind of as an observer, but like, nothing really seems to happen in that game. Like, it seems to me that it... You can just – there's no, like, time limit. Like, you better get to the door or, you know, your head's going to explode or something. It's like you could take 20 minutes to build that thing and get through that door, and it won't really make much of a difference. It doesn't seem like there's sort of a, a time limit what, on what, this uh, stuff. What platform was this? Uh, Wii. Okay. Yeah. So it was Phantom – so it was, it was probably Lego – Star Wars Lego 2 or 3, right? But he was doing the Phantom Menace part. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's not really a time limit on stuff. That is correct. And he could be – there were certain things where, like, he had to inhabit – like, he was playing as Obi-Wan, but then he had to inhabit 3PO, you know, to That's open right. a door yep. or something. So there yep. were kind of fun things like that where it seemed like you had to figure out, you know, how to be what character to make something happen or whatever. Um, yeah. But it was interesting because it just seemed like a, there wasn't there was kind of a narrative and it just you know went off and did its own thing. Well, there I mean there certainly is a point to each level and the, you know there is a beginning and an end, uh, and then along the way you know so you basically if you want to complete the game you have to play the levels multiple times. Ah. So you'll play it first on story mode and it assigns you two characters basically. Okay. That, that you do, and you can get through the level with those two characters, but then you go back later after you've accumulated more characters that, you know, because, again, all the characters do different things. R2 can fly, 3PO can talk to computers, right? you know, Vader has the Force, Boba Fett can shoot rockets, so then you go back on free play, and they'll give you, like, six or eight characters, and that will let you complete everything. And now that, you know, they've advanced so far, like with Marvel, you know, there's 300 playable characters. Uh, you can cycle through all of them and just be anyone you want, you know. 
Well, and that allows you to complete. Stuff. I have to say, um, can we just before we get to our our? So we've got what you're excited about, which is uh, Christmas, yeah. and the month of December, and all your charity work that you do all month. You yeah. know, for the the orphans. Uh, you know, the, the kids down at the mission. Um, now that we've gotten that out of the way, <laughs> so Phantom Menace, this Lego Phantom Menace, then leads to uh, you know this long. Uh, extended weekend with the holiday and everything and you know we're making little dvd marathons my wife and i let's watch this let's watch that okay and we did the unthinkable and said let's watch episode one through three star wars oh boy oh boy not in one sitting not in one right sitting. now were you mad at each other why would you do that <laughs> she had seen phantom menace and I think she had seen Revenge of the Sith, but she had no recollection of the second one. And it was interesting because I've seen them, you know, multiple times. And, of course, you know, I have my strong feelings on it. But it was interesting, you know, watching someone watch these things almost for the first time. And this is also someone that, you know, she's not a, a geek like us, but she loves, you know, Star Wars Empire and, and Jedi. And... Okay. You know, for the most part, I tried to sort of keep my feelings to myself and not go, oh, come on, you know, every five minutes. Uh, and it was really interesting to, to see it through her eyes, sort of, and just the the despair and disgust at uh, – because I, I have to say, you know, the, the each one of them has moments, and I wish that – because I keep trying, you know, every couple of years just going, maybe it's not that bad, like – you know, try, you know, try, try watching it again with, you know, just like I did with Into Darkness. You know, right. I was able to go back and, and, and watch that and go, there's a good chunk of this movie that I think works and I enjoy it and I can, you know, deal with the inconsistencies. Like I said, it hits a point where it loses me, but I'm able to go back with certain movies. And I know this is a broken record and I, I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but there is no going back with those movies for me. They are, they are just, I have, you know, with distance and, you know, put the filter on it and, you know, they're just, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of staggering. It's kind of mind blowing. I can't think of another time uh, where, where something veered out of control the way these movies did, because I don't think there is anything to compare it to because you've got, you know, he was the guy in charge, essentially, right. calling all the shots. I can't think of another scenario where that would that would happen. Uh, but man, oh man, was it tough! We we didn't even finish the second one. She's yeah. That that's actually Abby wanted to do that several months ago, and we got almost through episode two and stopped. <laughs> it's it's hard to, and you know you know what I, I thought of this too. And I'm really sick of this. I'm really sick of the defense. Well, it's just a different type of movie. You know, it's a different time. And I know some kids that, that love one through three and, you know, think that the other three are boring. And I am so sick to death of that defense. A shit film and a shit script is a shit script. I, I don't care. You know, stop making the excuse that, like, 
it's a different time frame and it's a different type of story and whatever. It's like, it's like the Bond films. You can, I know you don't have reference to this, but you can lay them out end to end. Some work better than others. Some are not very good at all. They're products of their time and they change and evolve as they go. But you can look back at some of the stuff from the, the mid sixties, you know, and maybe the pace is a little off and it's slower than you're used to, but they're still cracking good scripts. There's still great dialogue and great yeah. plot devices. Like if it's a crap script, that's it. That's, that's, there's no, I don't care when it was made or how it was made or what they're trying to achieve. Uh, you can't escape the stench of a, of a shitty script, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true. That is true. I agree. And, and I know this is a broken record too, but I was just looking at, looking at episode three again Good Lord, is it violent? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you have to slaughter all the Jedi. You have to turn Darth Vader into the mass murderer. In five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and his, his uh, demise with the, with the fire and the limbs and the, I hate you, and all that stuff. He, well, he had the high ground. It's, it starts to get laughable. You start yeah. laughing like like a mystery science theater thing. Like, did they really mean to? And I got one quick question. Yeah. So he, he builds three PO. Right. Little Annie. <laughs> little Annie builds three PO, and freaking leaves him on Tatooine. Why couldn't he have taken him? Was there some rule that he couldn't take the robot that he built, and and bring that with? And then. How does he – I forget because maybe I missed this because we, we turned it off at this point. But how does he come back into the story in episode two? The 3PO? Yeah. Uh, he goes back for him, doesn't he? Like when he goes back to find his mom. Oh, is that it? And his mom's been killed by Tuscan Raiders or something. Violet. It's like, oh, well, get in, get in the car. Get in the back seat. Is that okay? So that's it. Put some skin on you or he something. Goes back and he's like, "Can I? I'm gonna." He goes back to grab his CDs and that's right. Yeah, <laughs> clean out, clean out the attic. Clean out the attic. Get the diary and yeah. uh, you know his bubblegum cards. And then, oh, better grab three PO while I'm here. Yeah, collect his mom's last paychecks from Watto. You know that sort of thing <laughs> right. for tax purposes. Exactly. Close and, out the uh, account. Well, yeah. I, I, do I have room for three PO? Yeah, I'll stick him in the thing. I guess I'll take him with. Good for a so lot. that's it. Okay, so he goes back and and uh, okay, that makes sense now. That all makes I think sense. That's... <laughs> it's a much better film now that I know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so let's get to what I'm excited about. Aren't you going to ask me? Yeah. What? Hey, what about you? What are you excited about this week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um. You hit me to something a couple weeks ago, which has you know, made worldwide news that the surviving members of Monty Python are getting back together again for a big old reunion show uh, July 1st at the O2 Arena in London. And don't think I'm not looking into tickets. <laughs> Just, uh, well, there's something else where it says they've extended that tour now. Well, So I think there's more dates, right? Well, I don't, I don't know because the press conference, they were saying, you know, gosh, you guys played the Hollywood Bowl back in 1980. It would be a shame if you didn't go back and, and, and do it again. So uh, I don't know. I hope there's more. The Hollywood Bowl would be fantastic if, if something like that could happen. But um, on the heels of that, uh, one of the best things that any of the Pythons 
ever did outside the group. Actually, next to Faulty Towers may very well be the best thing that a solo Python did. Uh, Eric Idle and Neil Innes, who Neil Innes used to be in the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Who are you familiar with Bonzos at all? Yes. Are you? Because yes, that will yeah. be right up your street. Because it's just it totally is. Yeah. So he was a he was a, a member of the Bonzos, and he ended up. Um, Ironically, the Bonzos are in Magical Mystery Tour, the TV uh, special that the Beatles did in 67, <clears throat> which um, is funny because there's, there's this amazing, you know, Bonzos and Python connection with the Beatles. You know, George Harrison always said that he felt like the spirit of the Beatles was sort of carried on in, in the Python group. And yep. when he was, you know, at the low points in 69, you know, early 70, and things were going horribly wrong with the... <clears throat> the Beatles, and there was all this animosity and ugliness. He'd turn on, you know, uh, Monty Python when it would air, and it would just take him out of it. Uh, and of course, as most geeks know, he came to their rescue in '79 when they were going to do Life of Brian. Uh, they literally were <clears throat> packing up and heading to Tunisia, where they were going to film Life of Brian. I think this was like on a Monday, and they were supposed to be shooting on Thursday. And they get the word that EMI is pulling out. And is not going to finance the the film. And Eric Geidel's talking to George Harrison about it because they've become friends at this point. And Harrison's like, "Well, I'll come up with the money." And he mortgaged his house, <laughs> set up a film company called Handmade Films. Uh, and I think it was four million dollars. I think it was. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, which the old joke is, you know, well, why did you do it, George? And he said, "Well, I just wanted to see the movie." <laughs> and the old joke is that's the most anyone's ever paid for a, a movie ticket. Um, yeah. So anyway, so in in 76, Eric Idle does a TV series on his own. This is after the original Python series and after Holy Grail. And the show was called Rutland Weekend Television. And the, it was kind of like the SCTV premise where it was this crappy little uh, station in Rutland and, and all the sketches and, uh, you know, musical contributions or talk shows all were taking place in this fictional <clears throat> town. And there's one episode, I forget what the sketch is, but the sketch is about, uh, you know, crazy people or something at this institute. And one of them thinks he's John Lennon and starts singing this amazing Beatles pastiche called uh, I Must Be In Love. And it was brilliant. So Eric Idle ends up hosting Saturday Night Live, like a year later, 77 or 78 or something. And he brings this footage with of this music video for I Must Be In Love. Neil Innes playing Lennon wrote this thing. And it got such a response that uh, Lorne Michaels was like, we got to do a, <clears throat> a special. Let's do a documentary special about the Ruddles, this, this fictional band called the Ruddles. So uh, it aired one time. It was called All You Need Is Cash. Yep. In 1978, it aired once on NBC, I think it was number 98 out of 100 that week uh, when, it, when it aired. And what's amazing about it is because, he, because uh, you know, Eric Idle is in it as the, the, the interviewer and sort of narrator of the thing, um, there's this great crossover between British talent and original members of Saturday Night Live, that, that cast. Um, because it was a Michael's thing. So Eric Idle wrote it. Neil Innes wrote all the songs, and they're an amazing uh, Beatles knockoff. I mean, they're just just incredible tunes. And um, Dan Aykroyd's in it, John Belushi, Bill Murray, 
uh, Lorraine Newman, I think, Gilda Radner, uh, just loads of Mick Jagger, Paul Simon. They're all being interviewed about this fictional band, <clears throat> The Ruddles. What's cool about it, though, mm-hmm. is that because because Idol was, was friends with George Harrison, uh, Beatles anthology didn't come out until 1995. But even all around the 70s, there was this massive documentary trying to get prepped and, and being worked on called The Long and Winding Road. And it would get abandoned, and then they would work on it, and then it would get abandoned again. So Idol got to see rough cuts of what would eventually become anthology. And the the parody is just spot on, the detail that he gets. Um, and, and if no one's ever seen this, you kind of have to be a bit of a Beatle fan. I'll admit, I'll admit it. If you, if you know nothing of the Beatles, a lot of the jokes kind of fall flat. Um, but then again, there's a lot of just rock and roll sort of cliches that are in there that, that work really well. And it, this is pre-Spinal Tap, huge influence on Spinal Tap and you know, all the Guffman-type Christopher Guest stuff. Um, but it's wonderful, and it's hitting Blu-ray actually this week. It just came out uh, yesterday, I think, on Blu-ray for the first time. Oh, cool. So uh, that's what I'm excited about, that uh, we get a brand new spanking new print of All You Need Is Cash. Very excited. I remember, I remember, because what year did that come out? 78. 78, yeah. So I found it uh, at a video store when I was in high school. Okay. Not knowing exactly what it was. Okay. And remember taking it home, you know, and showing my girlfriend. We watched it together and just loved it. And I think I was even able to track down a copy of the soundtrack Mm. uh, of it. Yeah, so I'm sure yeah, I'll that. Not to not to bore you to death with this, but it's I find it fascinating. You know, Neil Innes's songs throughout the seventies, the the Beatles legal nightmare was just ludicrous. I mean, there were times where they none of them could access their own money, you know, yeah. because of all these lawsuits. So, you know, Lennon's borrowing money by the mid seventies and he's you know, Ringo's broke and all this because they can't touch the millions wrapped up in this lawsuit. And at one point, um, it's one of the, you know, Linda McCartney always said, my God, the dozens of lawyers whose kids they've put through school with the money. <laughs> and so, so some lawyer got a listen to those Neil students and said they're so close to the Beatles that they, they, they're, they're really riding a fine line. And Neil Innes had to get put co-writing credit on these songs with Lennon McCartney, even though oh, they're wow. completely different songs. And so he doesn't earn a royalty off of these songs, which I think is, is spectacularly bizarre and ironic. And then many years later, in 1994, 95, Oasis, the biggest band in the U.K., and uh, Neil Innes had a song in the early, late 60s or early 70s called uh, how, how Sweet to Be an Idiot. And uh-huh. it goes, you know, how sweet to be an idiot, how sweet. So Oasis put out a Christmas single called Whatever. And it goes, I'm free to be whatever I, whatever I. And it's so close to the Neil Innes thing that Neil Innes gets a credit. On the Oasis. So here's Neil Innes trying to parody the Beatles. He does it so close that he gets in trouble for it. And then years later, Oasis, who are hugely influenced by the Beatles, rip off Neil Innes, and then he has to get a co-writing credit with them. Wow. Isn't that weird? 
That's pretty twisted. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, so, so what, 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 uh, oh, I'm very familiar. Okay, yeah. cool. What, what day is your birthday again? It's like July 15th or so, right? 31st. Oh, it's the, it's the end of the year. Oh, okay. Yeah, why, right. why, why? Oh, well, I just looked up the extended, uh, dates in there. Additional dates, the July 15th through the 20th. You're joking. For Monty Python. You're ki- Wait, in London or, or in LA? Yeah, it's in, it's in London, unfortunately. <gasps> But I just I just sent you the link. Wait a minute. The first reunion performance sold out in 43 seconds? Yes. A further four days. Well, to, to be fair, 43.5. Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, a, further four, uh, a further four extra dates, July 2nd through 5th, went on sale immediately and sold out soon after. Well, good for them. That's great. That's fantastic. Let's get to some more because I'm looking at this variety article here, and there's bits of information uh, on the sides of it, of this article, which tell me that we need to get to more stuff because there's lots of crap happening. There is lots of crap happening. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, what else is going on in the world of pop culture? Well, I think we have, you know, we have to talk a bit about Doctor Who, you know, the 50th anniversary yeah. and the day of the Doctor. You know, we last time we spoke, the night of the Doctor had just come out, which was a huge surprise. Yes. So uh, how how spoilery do we want to be on this? I think at this point, uh, I mean, the Internet has pretty much given the game away all over the place. So if if I say we go for it, it's been, what, th- three weeks, two, three weeks? Uh, well, it was, well, what was it? Yeah, it was like the 22nd, uh, 23rd, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I think we can go ahead and get into it, yeah. Okay. So your your initial thoughts? I mean, just high level, liked it, didn't like it, oh, were I, upset by the basic premise? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was hour and 15 minutes. He ticked all the boxes. Not only was it a great story and a great idea, um, in typical Moffat fashion, you don't you – know, so, so much of his stuff, you know, you don't catch it all at once. you got to go back for a second and third viewing to get all the little – Easter eggs and little details. I loved all the winks. Um, Tenet, I thought Tennant and Smith were wonderful on screen together. Boy, they really were. Just as if they'd been doing it, you know, forever. Like, they just yeah. were great. John Hurt, of course, was, was wonderful. The radical reinvention and the, and, the, and the, you know, shifting everything over the way they did uh, yeah. is staggering. Um, that's all fantastic, but I'll tell you, when... When we get to the climax and the 12 TARDISes are going to hide Gallifrey and then the Time Lord says, all 13, yeah, I just about fell off my chair. And then, of course, the actual climax, when I'm not going to lie, when that voice, you know, Matt Smith's by himself and he's talking to himself and that voice is, you know, I think you might. And I didn't, it didn't dawn on me. I just was like, I was still going, what? Who the, f-? well, they're doing something. And then when the camera pulled back and you just, just the back of his head. Yes. I started to cry. I did too. Oh, and literally at the back of his head. I just went, oh my God, they're doing it. They're yeah. really doing it. And I, I lost it. I lost it. My wife could hear me gasp. She was in the kitchen doing some fancy treats, and um, I just went, <gasps> like that, and she came around the corner, and I was 
crying. I just tears. I mean, I wasn't like, <laughs> but I mean, I was, it really hit me. Uh, I did too. Huge lump in my throat. Yeah. Tears in my eyes. It was just like, oh, there. Just So, I mean, that means, you know, they they actually did squeeze in, you know, because they got the eighth in there. Yeah. They got the fourth. Uh, well, I mean, really, everyone appeared. You know, they, they gave a line to everyone. Sure. Even though they weren't all there. The Baker thing, well, well, it hit me in a couple ways. I've seen him in loads of interviews, you know, recent interviews, uh, you know, talking about his past. The the most recent one was that fourth Dr. Time capsule that I got. had a special DVD that comes with it, just him sitting down at 80 years old talking. And, you know, he looks terrific. But seeing him in this special, it was the first time. And this is not – I'm not saying anything negative here at all. He's my doctor, and I love him to death. But it was the first time that I, I, I that he to me I went, oh, he is he's an eighty year old guy. Okay. He, like just sort of kind of there was just something, and just as I'm thinking that, there's that that twinkle in his eye. You know those little those little things where he's you know he did that little thing where he went you know, about Gallifrey, <laughs> that little yeah, yeah. Baker always did to cut people off. And it was just wonderful to see that, that little spark, you know, still there in, in his, yeah. in his character. I, I could, I was, I, I could not, we had to get ourselves together to get over to, uh, you know, her sister's place for the rest of the day. We had to do that whole thing and eat and talk and, you know, be, and I never stopped thinking about it. The entire time I was over there, the rest of the yeah. driving back from Long Beach, you know, just, just, you know, I'm just a million miles away driving the car thinking about this, this special. It stayed with me for days. I just, yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how, how good it was. Did you enjoy it overall? Uh, totally, totally. Yeah. But, you know, it was weird because, you know, I, I left for my trip on the 22nd. So like the night before it aired. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I was without an internet connection for eight days. So I couldn't watch it. I couldn't, you know, get any information. I didn't know how other people reacted. And I knew that, I, you know, it was like the first thing when I got home, it's like, go pick up the dog. And then I'm going to sit down and watch Dr. Who. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, I think it was, we were in Mexico. We were in Cozumel, Mexico uh, on Thanksgiving day. And we had got off the boat. We were doing this excursion at this national park with dolphins and manatees and things. And I was wearing a Doctor Who shirt oh. uh, that kind of looked like like it kind of looks like the Sons of Anarchy thing. It says like Lords of Time, and it's got like a TARDIS and crossed, <laughs> you know, things. And, right. and a woman, you know, I guess I don't know if she was from our ship or another ship that was there, uh, walked up and she goes. So is it kind of a bummer being on a boat during the 50th anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> I go, yeah, it was. I said, but it's waiting for me on the DVR. And she goes, <laughs> uh, she goes, when we were getting our family together, my daughter, you know, said on the phone, she's like, mom, I don't know if I can go on a cruise oh. and miss this. Oh. <laughs> I said, well, what did she decide? She goes, she ultimately came with us. And I'm like, That's, you know, it'll, it'll still be there when we get back. But there was something, re- I mean, I'm not, saying that this was the be-all and end-all, but there was something very special about thinking of this global broadcast yeah. you know, happening. Was, did, you, did you see An Adventure in Time and Space the night before? No, I didn't get a chance to. It's still on the DVR. I didn't okay. get a chance to watch that. And, I'm, and I'm not, no spoilers, and avoid spoilers as best you can. It's wonderfully done. It's the, 
the the love and care. You know, Mark Gatiss is such a fan of the show. Uh, but there are a couple of moments that there's no way you're not going to have a lump in your throat. Oh, great. Yeah, it's just beautifully done. Beautifully done. And a, a great precursor to what, you know, what followed the, the next day. But it was so interesting, this Day of the Doctor, to sort of rewrite that basic foundation of the character. Yeah. In a satisfying way. Well, it, I mean, that, that has to be masterful to be able to do that. Well, it's also, you know, it's also not, not to get, you know, purely from a purely business merchandise aspect, you know, it changes everything that we, that we thought was in place since 2005. Now, again, yep. like we, like we sort of discussed, I think we talked about this on the, on the show, you know, in the classic show, you know, there might've been a moment where Peter Davison, I forget this, but he meets someone and they say, Oh, you regenerated again. Oh, you know, two more, you know, twice, twice actually, or something that, that references since this character has seen him last, he has regenerated twice. But yeah. you know, you know, there weren't people going around going, Oh look, it's the fourth doctor. And he wasn't going around saying I'm the fifth doctor, you know? So, yeah. so really you can really play with, and mess with that that whole thing, but it's established that Hartnell was the first, and this is kind of where we went. Well, now that you bring in this wartime, because you know, Eccleston, Tennant, Smith never went around saying, "This is my tenth body. This is my eleventh, you know, go round." Yep. Had they done that, they would have been lying, or it would have been a sticky little <laughs> corner that he would have had to paint himself out of. But that's how thorough Moffat is. And he probably thought, well, that playing field is there. And, you know, it also – I got so tired of this, you know, I am the oncoming storm. You know, he is the scariest human, you know, uh, being in the entire universe. You know, oh, the doctor, he's terrifying. He makes grown men weep and children, you know, wet themselves. You know, now all that buildup – and I'm not sure if Russell T. Davis or anybody really had anything thought out other than let's make – Let's make him scary because something went down in that war. We may never need to address it, but something happened in that, that war that he doesn't want to talk about, and it makes him this scary individual. Well, that yeah. left that door wide open for Moffat to come in and go, yeah. I've got the answer. Here's what happened, yeah. which is brilliant, just brilliant. But it changed everything. But it was so a- now all the merchandise that's been out there that said, <laughs> you know, ninth, 10th, 11th Doctor, our stuff included – Maybe it's going to be worth even more than it is now. That's right. Because it, it changes everything. That counts are all off. Outside of the world of, of comic books, when they retcon stuff or reboot or whatever you want to call it, I can't think of a time that anything has been radically shifted like that. In any Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the closest you can probably get, and I'm not trying to be silly, but the closest maybe you could get would be that um, that famous Dallas season ender. Remember that? Who shot Jr.? No, no, no. It was it was. Oh, the way where the whole thing was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Patrick Duffy had left the show, and then at the end, it's like, oh hi, honey, and she had dreamt the whole season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's. I mean, that's about as close as you can get, right? I think so. Probably so. Yeah. But it's just. I mean, it's interesting because yeah, since 2005. Uh, and I, you know, I don't remember prior references to that, but it really, you know, they talk of 
you know, he he committed genocide. He wiped out his whole race. Well, they never, and, but they never, and said, he's still the guy we're cheering for. They, they, I don't know if they ever directly said he's the guy that pressed the button. They certainly alluded to this horrible thing that that happened and his involvement in some way in whatever that resolution was. At some point, he said, "I killed all my people." Did he? Did he say that? In in one of them, yeah, I can't remember which. I think it was David Tennant. Okay. Uh, one of his episodes, but yeah. And just the so, whole, that moment where, you know, again, having to go back and watch it again, that moment where, where the, you know, Matt Smith doctor calls the unit guy and says, have the portrait moved to the inside of that room. Yeah. You know, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And they come walking out of this painting with a dollar. <laughs> you know, it's just, there were so many cool moments. Totally, and to see like the three Tardises lined up, and mm-hmm. it's like ah, oh, and just their their great. interplay between them, I yeah. thought was was uh, was wonderful. It was great to see Tennant back, but I thought Smith gave him a run for his money. Like they were they were neck and neck, you know. They did a, a terrific uh, terrific job. Um, so there's that. So we haven't even scratched the surface of all the shit we need to talk about here. I know, I know. I, but just real quick, one last thing yeah. uh, today. Forbidden Planet put up a pre-order for a five-inch figure from Underground uh, yeah, of the War yeah, Doctor yeah, yeah. that's got a swappable head between that and uh, and the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Is that a problem? It is for me. It, it's it's we <laughs> it's for me. We uh, right. we you know <laughs> all will become clear very soon. But we had a um, beautiful, gorgeous. John Hurt sculpts that went up for pre-order for our, our retro Who figures. Oh, okay. Uh, back when that cliffhanger aired. Yes. Uh, which will not see the light of day. Oh, no. No. No, no, no. But uh, That's too bad. More to come. As they say. Okay. Um, let's talk about, uh, should we hit Walking Dead real quick? We probably should, I think. All right. Yeah. So again, spoiler for a few moments. You know, I know some people watch this at you know they watch all the season at once or something. So uh, not maybe not everyone saw it, but uh, and maybe haven't seen the whole season leading up to this. But we're going to talk about it a little bit uh, because it's kind of crazy. Yes, very and and a real interesting direction for this season. You know, so uh, I don't think it's a huge surprise that the governor would come back this season after all that went down. Last season. No, but what's brilliant about what they did was, you know, because as I'm watching these last couple episodes, I'm going, well, didn't we see him at the end of an episode, like right outside the prison? Yes. You know, they kept building to that. That's the brilliance, you know, of, of giving you these three episodes of his journey or adventure, uh, taking you right up to that moment. Uh, beautifully done, and and he's so good, uh, yeah. David Morrissey, so good, totally. Uh, so so, what did you think overall? Did you any surprises or sadness or what? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there was there. Uh, maybe we leave a little bit to the imagination, but yeah, there was a death in there that was surprising and sad. Yes, uh, and, brutal. Someone, uh, and brutal, and brutal, brutal. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't think of 
a more brutal exiting of a character in television history. Good gravy. That was brutal. Well, there will be one if they follow the current storyline that's running in the comics. Okay. Much much more brutal. So Really? Yeah. Worse than that? Oh yeah. I don't want to, I don't I don't like that. I don't want <laughs> I don't want all my characters that I like to you know, to go out like that. So the current sort of bad guy in the comic, there's a, a storyline going on right now called All Out War. Uh-huh. Uh, and his name is Negan. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> uh, and he is, you know, so much worse than the governor ever was. Oh. Yeah. Jeez. So it's, oh, speaking it's of a tough Negan, read. You just said Negan, which made me yep. think of Tegan, which was a companion of the fourth and fifth doctors in the classic uh, show. Did you get a chance to see the Peter Davison thing? No, I didn't get a chance to see that. Oh, it's really fun. It's really, you got to watch it. It's very, very funny. Uh, just Davison and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy bopping around together is very funny. They, oh, let's check that out. They're wonderful together. So definitely check that out. And uh, speaking of Negan, again, uh, as a surprise on Black Friday, uh, McFarlane created a figure of the of that character from the comics and put it up on thewalkingdeadshop.com. Oh, no kidding. Like two different versions, like a color version and a black and white bloody version. Now, did so you, get, like, oh, do you have all the, uh, the new television Walking Dead figures, you know, the ones that were at Walgreens and Toys R Us? Yes. Uh, the, I'm only missing one from the previous wave. I'm missing the, I think it's the RV zombie, the one with the screwdriver in the eye. That's the only one I haven't found yet. I got to tell you, uh, after this episode, I I, I could have cared less before, but now I want to get an action figure of Carl. Oh yeah, I gotta, he's around. He's badass, that kid. Yeah, yeah. He is because they're they're yeah they're at Walgreens and Toys R Us and stuff now, and actually Walmart of all places, they've got that wave. Ooh, Walmart's. Boy, those those articles the past couple of weeks. Uh, I've I've been gone, so I yeah. Like, well, we should find. Is it about like Black Friday stuff? No, or? just about the the family that owns Walmart and how they treat the employees and everything else. Oh, I have to look that up. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, okay. So so there's that. So we love the Walking Dead stuff. Let's get to some yeah. more stuff before you got a you got a bolt. Okay. Um, okay. Still haven't seen Thor two, so can't talk about that. This is a big piece of news. Not only is Wonder Woman confirmed as a character in Batman versus Superman, which yep. again is a working title, I'm not sure what they're going to call the thing. Yeah. Uh, but today, I believe, right, they officially made the casting announcement. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, someone called Gil Gerard. No, it's not Gil Gerard. Going to be playing, isn't it Gil Gerard? It's Gal Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Yes. Gil Who is? I believe she is. Uh, she's a model. No. Yes. Uh, very skinny. Very skinny. Very skinny little arms. She's you know, one woman is not a skinny woman. And as I understand, it has sort of a, a dialect. I think she's from Jerusalem originally. She has a. She has a what now? She has a, a, a dialect, like she has an, an accent. I guess is what. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So that that'll. See how I mean, of course, Henry Cavill also has, you know, an accent that he got rid of. But so. he got rid of it. He he uh, yeah. He did it. But I guess she's, she's been in she's been in some of the Fast and Furious movies, like three of those. Mm. How about that thing? 
the Paul Walker thing. What a weird thing. Yeah, totally. That's so strange. Um, yeah. Um, so okay, so Gidget, Gidget. So they're saying they're saying that, and then you know, Variety alluded to there may be a cameo of the Flash in the movie too. So really, seems like they're really yeah they're really starting to heap on a bunch of stuff all of a sudden. Speaking of, uh, but not really. Um, the Marvel world. Did you see the latest little tidbits from Amazing Spider-Man Two, which by the way is the crappiest title in the history of Marvel movies? Can we not come up with something better than the Amazing Spider-Man 2? Electric Boogaloo? No, kidding. Um, some visuals, some artwork has leaked. Uh, I, I, no, I've heard that that is true. I've heard there's some pictures of the Rhino and the Green Goblin that are out there, yeah. but I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, so I think it's from the looks of it, it sort of confirms that you're going to have three villains in this thing. You know, yes. like major uh, villains in the in the movie. Um, okay, so Gidget Gard- Bardot is playing Wonder Woman. Um, yep. Thor two, I have not seen. It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing because you're talking about Christmas. I'm sure yep. this is one of your perennials. I'm sure this is one you put in every year at Christmas, right? It's, it is my father's favorite Christmas film. Is, is so, it? Yes. Is it one of your favorite movies? Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah, I've always had a problem with it. Okay, I, I, it's a it's a great movie, amazing cast. I get it. I totally get why it's this Christmas movie, and it's beautifully done. It's nothing about the quality of the film. Uh, it just always bugged the crap out of me because you know at the end of it, everyone's like, "Well, you know, he's he's ten times richer than he would be if he had money because he's got love from everybody in the neighborhood, and you know he's a <laughs> he's a richer man because of it." Yeah, yeah, okay, but he had to hit rock bottom and basically be a raging alcoholic and nearly kill himself and and have a nervous breakdown before someone paid attention and uh, you know started started writing uh, some checks. And what's more, he never all he ever wanted to do was travel the world and have adventures uh, and see things and do things. He never got to leave Bedford Falls. He didn't. It's heartbreaking. Everybody else is going off having a good time, and he just, right. you know, hangs out and gets kicked in the nuts every year. Uh, and who is the uncle? Who is the asshole uncle that couldn't keep his head on straight? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, I have very mixed feelings about it. It's a, it's a, it's a crap life. Okay. But yeah, apparently uh, they've decided to make a sequel <laughs> to it. Someone has written a script, which I get. Apparently, they've been trying to do this for years, and they finally have one they think is is worthy. And uh, it's got so you know some of the remaining cast that's still alive are going to be in it. What? Like the little girl that Juju, yeah. Who? Like it centers or well, his daughter, the little girl Juju. Juju's pedals. Yeah, that was the name of a band. Was, Remember that? It was, they were a band, I do. indie band, yep. for a while. So she is. I think she's like one of the central characters. It's like her, like son or grandson or something. The sequel that everyone's been on the edge of their seat. About. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the question on all of our 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 minds is, why so soon? Exactly. Speaking of you why know? so soon. Yes. It's official. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road is going to hit summer of 2015. That's right. They yes. have been talking about this freaking movie. <laughs> there, there were pictures 
they were like set pictures, I swear, hit Ain't It Cool News like two years ago. I don't know if they've been filming it for seven years or they filmed for a couple of weeks and they take a break or I don't know what. But now they're, they're in the middle of filming it because now like official stills have come out of, of Tom Hardy and stuff. And yep. now they're saying it's not going to come out till summer of 2015. Because they got to get yeah. it just right. Yeah, that's right. Well, they have to redub his voice because he talks like this. I'm going to murder town. Yes, I'm leaving. What was that? I, I can't understand what you're... Are you threatening me? Because I, I, it doesn't work if I can't hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah. This is good news for you. One of your favorite things of all time, House of Cards. Uh, season two is coming back. That's right. Yep, in February. Nice. I enjoyed that that show. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it took a while to to warm to it, but by episode like four or five, I think, it really started to cook. Did Did you get to see this teaser trailer? That came I have out not seen this. It is thirty seconds uh, of sort of the back of Robin Wright's head. It, it's black and white, uh-huh. and she's just you know, there's a window behind her, and she's smoking. And that's it. And then the logo comes up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So it's because you don't see pretty character- spoiler-free, but riveting. You don't see characters smoke much, though. Maybe it's making a, that's true. Making a statement of some kind. Yeah. So. Uh, what else is going on? Well, gosh, let's see. Uh, speaking of Spider-Man, not the amazing Spider-Man, but the Broadway show Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Spider-Man. Is about, Spider-Man. It's about to go. It's about to go dark itself. Is it? It's it's closing in January. I thought when this thing was in trouble and all the reports were coming out and everybody was saying oh, it's doom, dooms and glooms that the producers came out and said oh, we're going to be just fine. You know, the tickets. There, this thing is going to run for like the next decade. Uh, obviously, they got something wrong somewhere because it, yes, it's yeah. shutting down. But it's remarkable. Well, they, kept, that it, they kept killing Spider-Man, didn't they? I don't want well, Dropping them off the front of the stage and out of the chandeliers. Yeah, well, I th- there were all these guys that were injured, like, the first couple of weeks of it, like they're stuntmen and stuff. Well, it's it's build up and, and you know, the, the previews and all that stuff was uh, – what was the site? Was it was it uh, delisted or one of those – one of those uh, – Sites, you know, gossip sites that just on a daily basis would report on the madness of trying to get that show off the ground. It just it was just a disaster. Yeah. Nothing but problems with that thing. But I mean, I was always sort of curious about it. Just you know, I I love a lot of Julie Taymor stuff, uh, and that you know, with music written by Bono and the Edge, you know that that's fascinating. Yeah, but then weren't there things like Madam Web? Was the villain? Yeah, there's. Well, I don't. I don't even think it was Madame Web, but it is some variation of that. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't even like the real comic version. Did they ever do any kind of commemorative, uh, like an action figure of any kind for that? No, not that, that I. That would have been smart. They could have sold it exclusively at the the shop. Yep. You know, turn off the dark. Which is the dumbest name <laughs> title for a show. Turn Bless you. Thank you. Uh, it's almost as dumb as Werewolf by Night. I mean, as opposed oh, to Werewolf by Night. As opposed to Werewolf by Tea Time. 
Now, did you, did you, uh, there was, uh, at one point, you two did a soundtrack for a version, like a stage version of A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I've got, well, there's, there's one track that I have. And there's, yeah, there's that one single. Yeah, of it, yeah. Of Alex descends into hell for a bottle, a of, bottle milk of milk or something yeah. like that. It's a great track. Yeah, I, that, but that's the only piece that uh, I've ever tracked down. There's a, yeah. there's a B-side on one of the, I think it was a B-side on the CD single for The Fly. I think that's right, yeah, yeah. When that came out. Uh, you know, we've talked about Octum Baby, right, and how much I love that <laughs> record. Yes. I was never a U2 guy. I, I, oh. I could take him or leave him. That record blew my mind, and it's still, I think, the best thing they've ever done. <clears throat> I think it's uh, – and, and it's funny. When you talk to U2, like, purists, they kind of – it's divided up into pre-Octung Baby and post. Sure, and, yeah. And uh, they lost a lot of fans, but they, they stopped taking themselves so seriously, and – uh, I think it's a terrific record, but I, I was at that point I, I picked up every import single I could because uh, each one would have you know two or three different B sides. Remember when they were doing all those covers? Like, uh, well, yeah, that was that Fortune was right Sun. after yeah, right after Rattling Home. Mm-hmm. You know, they had kind of toured around the the nation. You know, they were hitting kind of all the big recording studios where you know Elvis recorded and things like that, and they and they sort of became uh, the world's uh, Highest paid cover band. Yeah, uh, and then as when Octung Baby came out, they started releasing a bunch of that stuff as singles. That's right. But yeah, they do like uh, I think they Fortunate Son and Paint It Black. Paint It Black. Yeah, there's some great, great stuff. Satellite oh, and uh, Un- Unchained Melody. Unchained Melody. Satellite. It's a really haunting version. Speaking yeah. of music, yep. uh, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. I think I've mentioned this 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 band to you before, but I really think you need to look these guys up because I think. Uh, knowing this, we've talked about, you know, the love you have for, you know, like the Weird Al type stuff and the kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy that I love uh, named Neil Hannon, who is the Divine Comedy. You know, when he puts out records, it's called the Divine Comedy. So it's usually him and a team of people that he puts together. Uh, okay. And he's Irish. <clears throat> he's got a beautiful, amazing voice. His stuff is, you know, strings, horns, uh, very pop. Uh, you know, he does like he he had a, a single on his the greatest hits you know ten years ago. It was called "The Pop Singer's Fear of the Pollen Count," uh, all about getting hay fever. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's not they're not parody type things, but um, he's got a very you know dry sense of humor. It's ironic you probably know him best. Uh, you you're a fan of the IT crowd, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He did the theme for the IT crowd. Oh, okay. And he also did the theme for Father Ted, which was also done by Graham Linehan, uh, you know, ten years before that. Uh, anyway, so he's the Divine Comedy, and I've I've loved his stuff for years. Then there's this other guy whose name I forgot, but he's the lead singer of an Irish band called Pugwash. And <laughs> about three years ago, they put out a record called the Duckworth Lewis Method, and it's okay. it's the two of them, and it's it's a I know how this sounds, but the record and, and almost all of the songs are about the game of cricket. Okay. okay. Which, it, again, sounds like this shouldn't work. There's a million reasons this shouldn't work. But it doesn't matter because the songs are brilliant, uh, you know, from <clears> – I mean, one of them almost sounds like you know, music hall kind of – like a musical type tune telling a story. The next one is a heartbreaking, uh, you know, ballad or whatever. Anyway, I, I was addicted to that record, and uh, again, back to the IT crowd, 
you know, Matt Berry, who played mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the boss with the black hair. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also from the mighty Boosh and, uh, uh, Snuffbox, the show that my buddy Rich Vulture did with him, the sketch show. Uh, he makes an appearance on the first record doing some narration. <clears throat> this new record came out in June or July. So it's the Duckworth Lewis Methods, their second album is called Sticky Wickets. Stephen Fry shows up on a track. Daniel Radcliffe shows up on a track. He's he's a big fan of theirs. And again, most of these songs are are about the game of of cricket or about an umpire or about whatever. It's it's hard to explain. But if you just start Googling, looking some of this stuff up on YouTube and giving a listen, I think you'd really enjoy these guys. And it's, it's, again, it's nothing too radical. It's, it's, um, you know, pure pop, you know, some one track is kind of glam on the new record. One track you'd swear was a hidden track by ELO from 30 years ago. Uh, They both got wonderful voices. So this new record, sticky wickets, it's new. It came out in July, but I've been listening to it nonstop the past couple of months. Uh, and I just thought, I think you'd really dig these guys because it's, it's, it's kind of in your wheelhouse, I think. Oh, cool. We'll have to give it that a try. Yeah, check that out. So, All right. Um, you probably got to run here, but any new... I do? I got a couple new toys. Okay. I picked up the Han Solo uh, Star Wars Black six-inch figure. Oh, nice. Like a Target? No, I got him, uh, I think, Amazon. Oh, okay, okay. It was like 17 bucks, maybe, something like that. Um, and I also picked up the Aliens uh, NECA Hicks and Alien Warrior, the one that he blasts his head off. I've not been able to find those anywhere. That's a, even that first single carded series. Those are no Toys R Us. Okay. I mean, I, I, I see pegs for them, but all the ones by me are empty. Yeah, they're, they're out there. And the new RoboCop stuff is out, too. Oh, for the new movie? Yeah, those yeah. figures are out. Um, and I also picked up the... The alien egg, the light up egg with the face hugger that shoots out. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Got that. I picked up the Wolverine on uh, Blu-ray, the extended cut, which is slightly better than the the, the theatrical. It's I, I'm I'm digging that movie uh, more and more. I, <clears throat> that's sitting next to me here. I haven't watched it yet, but it's right here. And I picked up a beautiful new book, Ron Burgundy's autobiography, "Let Me Off at the Top." Uh, okay. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. It was like 30 or 40% off at Target, so I, I picked it up. Um, and it's going to be a quick read, I have no doubt. But very funny. Yes. Um, and that's about it, I think, for new stuff. You? Okay. Uh, I mean, I've been gone, so I haven't really okay. uh, got to uh, got to hit any stores or anything yet. I've so. been basically picking up all the stuff that you couldn't get because you were gone. That's right. I missed uh, everything having to do with Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that stuff. Cyber Monday. Yes. Cyber Monday. Um, and I also picked up the first issue of um, the new Sandman thing. Oh, yeah, I got that, too. I haven't read it yet. But. I'm sure I'll be completely lost, but uh, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. You won't be lost because it's a prequel. It's, oh, it's, it's the it's... beginning. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's good to know. So it's actually the prequel. So, so it leads into the regular series. Okay. Nice. Well, I'll let you get to where you got to get. I'm glad we could do this. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, we'll probably, you know, be on a regular schedule now as best we can through the holidays. Yes. And um, looking forward to, to feedback from the fans if we haven't lost everyone because we're gone for two weeks. And we're gonna have a quick uh, shout out to the listener of the week. Yes. 
uh, Art Balthazar, who's a very uh, famous artist, actually. Yeah, how come I know that uh, name? Because he, he does a lot of stuff. Yeah, I totally know that name. Did he, <clears throat> did he send us a note or something? Is he... Uh, he, he like retweets us. He uh, he's a he's a reader of AFI. He you know re redoes uh, reruns some of our stories and things. But uh, and he just I actually just got uh, Dark Horse Comics sent me their Christmas card uh, that he did all the art for. It's like you know kind of his cute little versions of you know Hellboy and Concrete and just Ewoks all the all the stable of Dark Horse characters. It's oh, super nice. cute. Yeah, well, but uh, apparently he's a fan because he retweets us. Uh, I'll the... say it again. We've got a really cool batch of listeners. So thank you, everyone, for constantly sending us notes and paying attention to our silliness and uh, you know, retweeting us and stuff. We really appreciate it. We do. Yeah, that so is. there. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hit this again next week. Sounds like a plan. Have a good week, everyone. All right, take care. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Behold the secrets of nature's deepest mystery.